At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. In 2005, two brothers set off on a road trip that would eventually save the world and change television. For 15 seasons and 327 episodes, Supernatural took audiences on a wild ride of family, fate, and faith with a rocking soundtrack and a seriously cool car. But that was then, and this is now. And while the show might have ended, we're not quite done with the journey. And that's why we're watching it all over again, diving deep into every episode of Supernatural with the fine folks who made it. And we're taking you along for the ride. I'm Rob Benedict. I played Chuck Shirley, a.k.a. God. And yes, that's a bit of a spoiler, but spoilers are going to be fair game here. And I'm Richard Spade Jr., and I played the Trickster, also known as the Archangel Gabriel. We'll be talking about the entire series, so don't say we didn't warn you. So buckle up and settle in. This is Supernatural, then and now. Hey, everybody, I'm Rob Benedict. I'm Richard Spate. And we're talking about season one, episode nine, Home. That's right. And Uh, guess what? What? You know who our guest is going to be? No, who? VFX, that's visual effects supervisor, Ivan Hayden. Oh, man. Yeah, dude, the original gangster. Wow. Yep. I love that here it says his out guest. (laughs) Well, that's his call. Okay. Yeah, all right. Let's get into what this episode was about. Sam starts to have nightmares about their childhood home. Oh. And convinces a reluctant dean that they need to return to Lawrence, Kansas. Reluctant Dean is my favorite dean. Yeah, it's a a pretty solid dean. There, the boys meet the present-day occupants, Jenny and her two small children. What do you think about Jenny, Rob? I thought she was lovely. Yeah, you pig. (laughs) Trying to raise a family. There seem to be strange noises in the house, and Jenny's daughter says there is a flaming creature in her closet. Not what you want to hear from your daughter, right? Nope. Is it the same thing that killed their mother? I don't know. Why are you asking me? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. It's an open-ended question. Oh. Sam and Dean contact an old friend of their father's, a local medium named... Missouri Mosley. Missouri Mosley. Together, they confront the evil poltergeist with the help of an unexpected ally, the ghost of Mary Winchester, and expel the entity from the house. Yes. Well done, boys. Not without... What? A very, uh, the very last scene, we see Missouri Mosley talking to... Oh, yeah. Papa John, Winchester. John Winchester. John Winchester also making an appearance, a, a cameo. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's talk about the show. What Big, do we think? Uh, look, I I really, uh, really liked it a lot. I'm a sucker for the ongoing story underneath the Monster of the Week. Yeah. And I'm dying to know where their dad is. I don't know where he is. No. And the fact that we got to see Mary and we got to see him at the end. And the fact that he knew Mary, Missouri Mosley. I'm like, I was like, what? She was working with him the whole time? Well, we knew that early on. Remember, they they found Missouri Mosley. He's like, yeah, the truth is in Missouri. The truth truth comes from Missouri. He read that in the journal, and he goes, it must be this woman in Missouri Mosley. So Dean puts that together. 
I mean, but we didn't know that John was still around. Like, it, right? We right. know she was currently helping. Him. Right. I thought it was just a thought. It was yeah. But look, I thought a the, woman he, he knew. I thought the character of Missouri Mosley was great. She's so great. fun, and you yeah. be like, "Don't you use that language?" You know, yeah, when Dean would just be thinking yeah. something. And it reminded me. I mean, there are a lot of Poltergeist. The the actual movie Poltergeist references here. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, she's a little bit like the the Linda Hunt or that yeah, one. the little little uh, medium in that in that movie. Um, but you know, I loved her, and you know, uh, Rich and I. Much, much later, we're asked to do Comic-Con one year, and they were like, don't mention the return of Missouri Mosley. And we were like, who the heck is Missouri Mosley? Now we know. <laughs> now we know. I will say this. One thing bumped for me in the story. Uh-oh. I know that you're a detail guy. You like the, the details. This detail bumped for me. Oh, boy. That Missouri Mosley, with all her skills, okay. they go in and they kick the mom out. Mom goes to the movies with the kids, and they, like, mm-hmm. de-ghost the house. Yeah. And, like, kind of leave a half-assed job done. Yeah. Didn't work. Missouri Mo's like, well, that's good. You can bring the kids on back in now. Good yeah. night. Sleep well. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's still a flaming guy in the closet. Well, look, there's something going on. The fact that Missouri Mosley's working with their dad, I don't know. Maybe. You think she was trying to set up Sam and Dean for some sort of uh, harm? Not harm, but I don't know. Maybe she's, I just feel like maybe she's got ulterior motives. Oh, well. I, I mean, if she, is she some kind of demon? Because you do Not wonder. Not demon. Like, or maybe some kind of, an, of angel or something? You just feel like maybe she's in cahoots with John, maybe? Yeah. Because. How would she? How could she not tell there's still a flaming spirit in the house? No, it seems she, like if you if you can read Dean's micro thoughts, you would know there's a massive entity still there that likes to appear on fire. Look at you reading Dean's micro thoughts. You're right. You, you know did, what I'm saying? You did a sloppy job. Uh, so did the woman in Poltergeist, by the way. Good point. <laughs> yeah, but Missouri Mo, Missouri Mosley leaves the house going. Well, that's it. You guys are good. My the, job the here is done. Go, you know, the family goes in the house. And that's when the and Sam and Dean realize they see the mom at the window going help help help. So she leaves them with she leaves that family at the mercy of whatever poltergeist is in there. No, it's good. You're right. So um, well, so uh, do you think Mary's ghost had a connection to the old photos? A possible reason she was able to manifest in the house. That would make sense, I guess. Yeah, she was also was also her home. I mean, wherever you would go in the afterworld, you'd still know your. Where you had your babies. Look, all I know is that this is a show that also deals with the supernatural. Right. So you got demons, you got angels. I just feel like something else is at work here. I yeah. See, you know what I mean? Anyway. I did like the the reemergence or the reappearance of Sam Smith. I thought that was great. It was great. The Mary part. Uh I I am a sucker for the uh for the 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 through line of family, and so I'm gonna give it a full beard. Okay. <sighs> You wanted to give it stubble for you? No, you know what I was going to do? I was going to do full beard, but but, but trimmed. Well so, trimmed. A uh, uh, trimmed beard. We'll go with, we'll go full stubble. Okay. Full stubble. Full stubble. Just a step under full beard. Yeah. But my, my full beard is like your beard right now, which is housing small animals in it. It's so big. Right. But my beard is like yours, which is tastefully quaffed. Right. By a professional. Brag a little bit, money money bags. <laughs> no, it's not. I, I literally trimmed it myself last night. Um, okay. So this is exciting, though. We've got this. We've got a great guest today. We got such a great guest that I learned so much from. Yeah, this is going to be uh, one for the books. People yeah. are going to love this. It's Ivan Hayden, visual effects supervisor for the first seven seasons. That's one hundred and thirty-seven episodes of Supernatural. Yeah. that he, well, he was behind and helped create the the monsters and the look and the scare. Yeah, and and one thing I really interested to talk to him about that you'll hear in our conversation is just the fact that when he started compared to when he ended the show, technology had changed so much that his job, the way he did his art 
had to change as well. Yo, to, I can't imagine. Nobody had to keep up with technology more than Ivan Hayden. Exactly. And so his team. His other visual effects credits uh, are uh, Bates Motel. Beauty and the Beast. Andromeda. And he recently produced a bunch of uh, movies for Hallmark, as well as Divine, the series, and Demon X. Yeah, and he tells us he also did uh, the first season of Lost. Oh, that's right. He worked on it. Worked on that. So, uh, without further ado, here we go. Ivan Hayden, my friend, my question to you, just to get us rolling down your journey with the show. How did you become involved in Supernatural? What is your Supernatural origin story? It's funny. I had just finished up doing season one of Lost and was getting prepped. I'm moving down to L.A. I'm going to get into films, get into the visual effects, the big budget stuff. This is where I'm going to go. And I got a phone call from a local company going, hey, we heard you're back in town. Like I was just coming home to pack up all my stuff and move down to LA. My brother was down there and like, this is it. We're going. And I got this phone call and I said, would you, are, are you interested in doing work? And I said, well, what, what's the show? And they sort of laid out what supernatural was, which as far as like a visual effects person's career job, it's a dream job. Like these types of shows that they don't come around very often, oftentimes. And, you know, my, my background as visual effects had been um, sci-fi stuff, which I love. Don't get me wrong. I love sci-fi. But when you're working on a show like Andromeda, it turns into this episode. We're doing a, a five spaceships. You've already built them. You've already modeled them. It's laser beams. We're doing six holograms. We're doing, you know, that kind of thing. Whereas a show like Supernatural, uh, and especially in season one, where it was very much more a monster of the week, like every episode you had to figure out something new. I was like, oh, uh, OK, uh, I'll, I'll come talk to you about it. Um, and and that was sort of it. I they, they gave me I signed the NDA and all that sort of thing. And I read the first script and then I'm like, there's no way I can't do this show. <laughs> Eight years later, I was like, okay. <laughs> Your brother is still down at the apartment going, are you going to move in? Or? Yeah, what's happening here, man? I got I to get a roommate in here. Like, <laughs> So coming into Supernatural, what was it like working with the boys? Because, you know, they were involved with a lot of the effects. As actors, did you have the same response that a lot of us did? Because, you know, with us, they're all, they're so sweet, such nice guys. But season one, was it any different? Were they cooperative? Jared Jensen, from a visual effects standpoint, it's always a hard thing dealing with cast in different environments and different things. In a show like Supernatural, the things that attracted me to it also make it difficult from a performer's standpoint. Nobody, no human in the world wants to look like a fool in what they're doing. Nine times out of ten, when I'm talking to Jared and Jensen, I'm like, okay, so we're going to spray you with goo, and then I need you to scream. And I need you to look over here or do this. And sometimes it's difficult for actors to trust a visual effects person uh, and to give themselves to that performance. They faced everything that Eric and Bob and Phil and Kim and everything that every creative person put in front of them, they faced it with courage, professionalism, and respect. They respected what, what we were doing. Sometimes they would say, I don't get it. Why? And I would explain what I was trying to do because it's hard to go, look, this is my character. This is my craft. I'm building this person and this is how my person would act. And you want me to 
go against that or you want me to look weak or foolish or something like that. And they would trust me and go through it. And for someone who had, especially in season two, they enabled the visual effects. Well, they enabled every department, honestly. They enabled us to do our jobs as best we can. So I have the privilege of calling them friends and the honor of getting to work with them as professionals. That's awesome. This guy here and yourself, Rob, the two of you guys were the same way. You both did and do the job allowing the other people to do their jobs. And it's one of the things about Supernatural I'm so grateful for. Top to bottom, it was like that. That's awesome. This is Jared Padalecki stopping in to say hi and let you know that we've got to take a quick break. You can sense it calling out to you. New reality seeks you. Join the journey to save Anomaly. Place where sound is magic. The only way to enter the world is by looking inward. Along the way, you'll learn potions, chants, and enchantments that will help you both in that reality and yours. So, answer the call and let your campaign begin. Featuring the voices of Ruth Connell from Supernatural and Dead Boy Detectives. There are ordeals ahead, yet with guidance, you will face them head on without fear. Todd Stashwick from Star Trek Picard and Twelve Monkeys. When the time arrives, wherever your journey takes you, be there with no attachments. And R&B singer N.C. Gray. There are worlds, realms, dimensions, and realities beyond yours. Anomaly is a role-playing meditation podcast that takes you into a world of magic and fantasy. You'll be invited to imagine yourself in scenarios such as learning to cast a tranquility spell or exploring a land vanquished by a dragon, but all connected by a shared mythology. The goal of guided fantasy role-playing meditations are to help you cultivate a sense of wonder, curiosity, balance and joy in your inner world. Role-playing meditation is a form of escapism and relaxation, as well as a creative outlet for the imagination. The first campaign is an introduction to the world of Anomaly, its lands, magic and secrets. In the eight chapters, you'll stretch your imagination, learn to center yourself, offer forgiveness, find confidence, relieve stress and stop racing thoughts. Your true self will emerge, allowing you to manage your goals and dreams without confusion, distrust or self-doubt. You can find it on Spotify, Apple and wherever you listen to podcasts. Or visit SeekAnomaly.com to learn more. Anomaly spelled with an I-E, not a Y. Seek Anomaly. Hear its magic. Thanks for listening. Now, back to the episode. Ivan, can you explain just for a second for for the kids at home the difference between special effects, visual effects, and practical effects? Visual effects is anything that is done or augmented with a computer, usually after principal photography. That is changing 
certainly as technology evolves and budgets evolve and, and things like that, that isn't, I mean, that's sort of broad strokes, but generally speaking, anything that is augmented with a computer after principal photography is a visual effect. Special effects is anything that is physically done during production. And physical effects and practical, like practical effects and physical effects kind of are the, are the same thing. I look at physical effects as lighting effects because there are lighting effects that the director of photography will create and tell and paint with light to make it look like there's something going on that doesn't necessarily need a special effects person or a computer person. Special effects can be anything as innocuous as like Star Trek, the door opening and closing when they approach it. Do you know what I mean? To flying things across a room, builds for like the blood sprays, um, squib hits, anything that's sort of physical. And usually, again, this is broad strokes terms, but for me and my, the way that I did visual effects is I didn't really do a visual effect without special effects, practical effects, and stunts. I was going to ask you, there seems to be a big marriage between those those uh, groups, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. For example, if you're going to do a stunt and someone's going to get hit, punched across the room, you, you touched on it. There's a wire that is going to have to get painted out. And it depends on the setup and the situation. Sometimes special effects do the do the ram and the pull on the wire, and the stunt guy just does the stunt. Sometimes stunt riggers do the do that sort of thing. It, it depends on the uh, union environment, the the teams that have been put together, and the rest of it. But yeah, visual effects is touching a lot of that stuff. How much like in season one in the episode we're talking about now, episode nine. Uh, you know, the effect of the fire, Mary being on fire on the ceiling, ha- has it changed a lot in the last 15 years? I mean, in other words, would you do that effect differently now with new technology? Absolutely. It changed year to year. For example, episode 109, Home, we put a person and did a physical burn on them because just in the time, the schedule, the budget, and all of those things, there was no way in our environment that we were going to be able to do any kind of, quotes, CG fire or computer-generated fire. Like, it just wasn't going to happen. The computation power didn't work. In between, and I think it was, it might have been season two and season three. It might have been one and two. I can't recall. But CPU processors took a big leap in speed. And we went, and I, and I remember Kim Manners saying to me, wait, 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 wait. You made me set a person on fire last time, and now you're telling me you can sit this person in a chair and set them on fire. And I'm like, yep. And he's like, why? What, what changed? And it was quite simply that the, the computational power of the CPU and the computers would allow us to do the versions to then be able to render it in time. So there's two sorts of things. Like you build it, you sim it, you output it and you go, yay, that's great. Let's render it out. And we'll then composite them on all the shots. It's doing all of that R&D to make it work, at least back then. It took a lot of time to get the, the R&D stuff done. We're like, there's no way we're going to be able to test this to make sure that it's going to work in, in the time provided, right? So, so let's talk about that effect because you had, so the in this episode, the person on fire, you know, that we see walking around. Is that person wearing a green suit on a green screen? And then, because it seemed to be, comped into the room, you know, where you could see through the guy or person, you know what I mean? So how, how, how was that whole, describe all the layers of that effect for us. 
my my flavor, and this is just me because I'm a little bit old school, I like to get as much practical elements as I can. So we shot, this was a fun episode, and we used the, some of the elements that we shot in this show for years. We, we did a whole day uh, of a fire element shoot. So, for example, the, the scene when Mary says, get out of my house, and the fire goes up across the ceiling, we built a portion of a ceiling that was the dimensions. Okay, I'll, I'll step back. I'll say how we shot it, because that sort of plays into what we did. We read, read the script, identified that the person was on fire. I flung myself at the feet of Kim and, and Cyrus and said, there's no way I can do this. I can't burn someone. We're going to have to put someone into a fire suit. So in the, in the visual effects, special effects stunts meeting, we talked to Lou Bolo, who was the stunt coordinator, and said, look, we're going to have to put someone on fire. So then my job is to analyze the elements and the pieces that I need to put together for the final composite, for the final output of the shot. The concept of green is absolutely bang on in that what you do with green and the reason why people use green screen is you go into the computer and you say everything that's this color green is transparent right? So that gives you, it lets you separate elements to sandwich them together when you do compositing. So compositing, what we're doing is we actually go into a room that's totally dark and we shot everything on blacks. And then we did what was called the luminance key. So instead of saying this color is transparent, you're saying everything that's this luminance value is transparent. So you can actually get some of the glow and the bloom and the fall off from the fire and put it onto the shot of the person that's walking through it. So we broke down the pieces on what we need and we and then my job as a visual effects person was to figure out the order I needed to film them in order to accomplish it. So we shot the practical stuff first, meaning Mary and the room. Because with that, that will then tell me what, what we're going to need to do when we shoot the person on fire. If we shot the person on fire first without Mary in the room and you want Mary standing at a certain point, when you put the camera into the room, you may find out, oh, crap, there's a wall right here. So the camera can't be right here. So you have to make all of your elements and all of your pieces. The cameras need to be in the same place or it will look askew it'll look akimbo the things won't look right the feet will be floating on the in the air as opposed to on the ground mary will be looking in the wrong way and those sorts of things so we sat down and we did mary and then we did a lighting pass with serge we had cues worked out with serge and we got a clean plate which is basically just the lighting no mary we got a shot with mary and then we worked with special effects and just to cover my butt because I wasn't really sure how the the transition from fire to human was going to work. I had special effects hit Mary with an air mover, which is just a, a compressed cannon of air. That goes, and I think I hit both of you guys at some point in time. So it made her hair move. And that was the thing that really gave me the blend between the two. Then what we did is we took all of the camera measurements. So we measured how high the camera was off the floor, what the tilt of the camera was, what the lens of the camera was, what the focuses of the cameras were. I did some relational measuring in the room so that I could see where the camera was versus the door because she comes around a corner and towards the camera and then stops. And then what we did is we went into a one of our sound stages. We hung blacks up all over the place at a safe distance. We taped out the path to walk on on the ground. And then we rehearsed it with a person in an Omex suit 
and there's glass holes so that they can see. But once the fire is burning, you can't really see. <laughs> so we did it with him a couple times. Lou Bolo did it, had him do it until his he could do it with his eyes closed, how far he was supposed to go, how many steps he had to take so that he could hit his mark. Because once the fire was on in the suit, he wasn't going to see it or be able to see where he was going to be. Then when he got to the end mark, we did a count of four and then we hit him with a big air mover so that the flame would sort of wrap around the back of him. And then we had him fall down and hit him with fire extinguishers and put him out so he didn't burn. And it worked. And it was really just, it was a, like, I was protecting myself in getting those two wind pieces, but it ended up being the thing that made it work was when her hair went up and the flames went back, it then let her hair fall down and that made the whole piece work. And it was just a, I was just covering my ass. So you did you did a wind mover on the uh, on the guy in the flame suit too. You're saying so that you could you had a mar- two married pieces of similar action. Correct. Oh, that's cool. Technology in in the physical world changes as well because two years later we were doing burns with people people but we were using flame gel, so we didn't have to put them in the big bulky suit. What is flame? Explain what that is. Well, flame gel is a, uh, I'm not sure what the chemical compound is, but it is a gel that with alcohol in it, but as it burns, the heat, the gel, it's kind of like a wicking thing. It pulls the heat away from you. So you can have it on physically on your skin and have it looks like your hands burning. Now, when you put it on and you do the first shots, you see the stuff dripping and it's goo and it's that sort of thing. But as long as people are moving around and being kinetic, they can physically, you can have it on your skin and it's a flame gel. Again, there's a certain period of time that you can do with it. It is very dangerous. The danger of the flame gel is that you could inhale the fire and, and things like that. So you have to be, fire is, burning people is a scary thing. I'm, I'm thankful now that computer processes have gotten to a point where for the most part, we can do them practically and not have to set someone on fire. The stress of putting someone on fire, even in one of the suits, it's nerve wracking. There's a human being in there. And the courage that stunt people have astound me, it never ceases to amaze me. Like our, our when you're watching a person get set on fire and they're walking through it, like you, you have that, that internal feeling inside of you that's telling you to run like hell, this is not right. But the technology changed. It went from that was the only way to do it. So, uh, and also Lou Bolo being a very safe guy, there was no available stunt women at the time. Normally, when you do something like that, you get a stunt double. And the purpose of the stunt double is someone who physically looks and resembles the performer that the gag is about. And at the time, there was no female performers that were experienced with a burn. And Lou Bolo being safe was just sort of, he, he called me up when he goes, Ivan, look, I can't, I know you said you wanted to get someone who had the same body shape as her, but I, I can't find anyone that's got experience with it. And there's enough technical stuff about this. I, I don't want to give this to a first timer. And, you know, on one hand, you, you feel like, oh, it's not going to match. But on the other hand, who cares? It's a human that, that's a lot. That this yeah. is a live human. You don't want to risk it. Like I said to Lou, I said, look, dude, honestly, all we can do is, is our best at trying what we can do. But the suit is a big, bulky suit. So even if we found a female stunt performer that was the perfect match, it's not going to look the same. So, you know, we just went without it. And I think in the end, it looked pretty cool as, as itself. I don't think anybody goes, that's a man in that suit. Well, not all, I will say this, as, as a viewer of the show, 
It doesn't bump for me. In fact, if anything, it's better because it never tips its hand to it being Mary. At no point do you see that coming. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and Richard, you, you, I'm sure you're like me. Like I, I always say, movies and films become what they're supposed to be on their own. We do our best bet at trying to do things, but as you say, if it had been a perfect body match, someone would might be saying, "Well, that's a woman." Right. And as right. you say, tipping the hat. And it's those things like you, you, when you're doing it in prep, you're, you know, as a visual effects person, I'm just thinking about this is what I have to do to make this look like the most photorealistic version of Mary on fire. And then in the end, you come out with something that it, it helps tell the story. Um, OK, so then I want to leap over to some other effects you did in this episode. Now, we've talked about the big fire one, which obviously is you know, the big kahuna. But you have some other cool ones here that are physical objects moving. You have the pin from the kid's crib pops up. You have the lamp cord that attacks Jared Padalecki. A real exciting thing for the entire lamp community to see uh, something that's small best, uh, Jared. So how did you pull those off? Like, how are those done? Are those computer? I mean, was technology there for that yet? Well, yes and no. The pin in the crib was just a wire remover. That was all Randy Shimkew and the special effects and the special effects gag. So wire removed, just for the people at home, means that Randy physically tied a wire, pulled the pin out. You went in later and digitally removed the wire that was pulling the pin out. Co- correct. Correct. O- oftentimes with the physical effects or even with stunts, there's either what we call the wire or rig removal. And it just is the frame by frame painting out of whatever mechanical thing or physical thing needed to be there that you don't want to see. Gotcha. And the cord in the lamp actually wasn't a planned visual effects shot, if I recall correctly. It was one of those things where it was supposed to be done told in cuts, but you get to the, I could be wrong on this one. I'm pretty sure this was one of those ones that when you get into editorial, you look at it and you go, we need to see that kind of get it and go around the neck and that sort of thing. And it was done in CG. CG means computer generated. And I will use the term CG to specifically mean a three-dimensional computer-generated image when I guess compositing is computer-generated as well because it's still a computer sandwiching all the pieces together. But CG means you're building a physical thing in a computer, texturing it, rendering it, animating it, lighting it, outputting it, and then giving that piece to the compositors so that the compositors can put it into into the shot and hopefully it looks seamless and works so yeah we we animated it coming up over his shoulder looking like a snake and then wrapping around the neck and then all of the rest of the stuff was all just physical and practical it looked great i mean that that effect looks fantastic it really did oh that's crazy was there uh at the beginning of the episode there's a like a, a creepy sky over the house at night yeah, that was us. We did a sky replacement on that. I think we also did at the end of the shot, once the ghost was killed, we did a, if I recall correctly, there was a big flash of light and the and the shockwave of the ghost's sort of ectoplasmic residue flashing outward. And I think we used the same camera angle for that. We did two cameras set up. Oftentimes, we'll do two camera setups, visual effects shots, so we can either milk it in post or go, hey, you know what? Wouldn't it be cool if at the start of the movie we put a cool sky in there? You know, it, it just covers our bases and we have the camera measurements. So for that end sequence, that's an example of working with Serge, uh, our lighting and special effects. So we had a inside the window, we had a 
18K, and this became a sort of signature thing between Serge and I. The 18Ks are those big lights that we use at night to light up the, you know, make it make it moonlight and and, and bright and that sort of thing. And we take the housing off and you just have the naked bulb in there. And it, it, it's like, you can get a sunburn standing beside those things when they when they kick in. Wow. They're super bright. And he, because it's it's got a little bit more of a white, yellowish white color to it when the naked bulb is really cranked up. But he turned it on. There's a bit of a warm-up phase to it so it doesn't come on it's not like turning on a light switch you can turn it off but you can't really it takes a minute to warm up so we warmed it up and then turned it off and i could just use those to play it forward play it backwards have the internal light light up so you can see the light through blinds and through you know it looks like it's a physical real thing and then we had randy and the guys i think with the ritter fan was pissed off the neighbors if i recall correctly because ritter fans are really loud those are those big things that look like the fans on the back of those florida everglade boats that pump a lot of light around and we hit the we hit the trees with the with the fans so the shock wave could have, I, again, that's where I sit down and I go, what are the pieces that I need to assemble to make this look like it's a, it's a thing that's moving through space? So we got the lighting gag, then we got the interactive wind pass, and with those two pieces, we could make it feel like something went... Now, am I, am I correct in assuming that back then these would be locked off cameras, meaning cameras that aren't moving? Uh, yeah, for the most part, or pan and tilt only. You know what I mean? Like it's a locked off camera kind of thing. But yeah, for the most part, they would be locked off, not moving. And that's for for simple ease of accomplishment in post and, and time on the day. Like you can move the camera if you've got the budget and the time for it, right? Now you can do it much easier. I mean, it's, it's much easier to accomplish that, right? I mean... Well, yeah, man. I mean, I, I haven't been, quotes, behind the box doing CG stuff. I've actually just started reacquainting myself with the software and stuff for, for years. But I haven't been doing visual effects now for six or seven years specifically because I've been producing things more. But I have been involved with the visual effects on my movies and, and inevitably because of my visual effects background and the low budget nature of the lower budget nature of the shows that I've been doing, we're I'm kind of doing the visual effects supervising as I go. It's a different world though, man. There's like I would love to be a young visual effects person starting out the specialized options that are available for for what people can do like affects people and it's cool there's so much stuff that's out there one of the visual effects that are in there that like people might not know about was when dean hits the ground and those knives go into the table do you remember that yeah sure that that the knife blades coming out the side were visual effects because we couldn't do that safely Randy, special effects, sort of like with Lou, Randy comes up and goes, Ivan, look, man, I get that it's a big, thick table, but I'm not really comfortable with us, even if I have them as like a, like a, we do it as a rig removal where it's on a piston and it stuffs a knife through a table. It's like, I'm not comfortable safety wise with Jensen being on the other side of that table if I'm doing it, whether it's wood chips flying in his face or a piece of the thing breaking off, like he's like, I- I'm not really okay with that. And that's when I just said, well, I'll do it. And that, I mean, th- that's, uh, I guess in the visual effects tutorial, um, after we-, we-, we could talk about how, like what the process of visual effects is and how we sort of get to these things. But as a group, what the producers need to do is produce a budget, not just the show and the story and the rest of it, but they have to produce a budget. And when Randy says, it costs me X to build a breakaway table, 
with three takes. So in case the first one doesn't work or the, you know, the camera doesn't catch it or the actor doesn't hit the mark right of the lighting cue, something's wrong. We need three takes. Then I got to build the rig that's going to stuff the knives through the table. Then I've got to X, Y, and Z. It costs blank. And that's when for me, you know, after he told me this, I said, then don't do that at all. Take that off your budget. This is what it would cost for me. And the producers would know what it would cost for special effects. Now that we're doing it as a visual effect and we're doing it, there's less physical labor involved in it. There's less physical time on the day. The producers can then say, we're going to take that money and put it into stunts and set somebody on fire and offset the cost of that because we hadn't planned on putting someone on fire. Or we're going to get, this is that location that we really want and it costs more money than our budget. So, But we get to be there because the special effects guys and the visual effects guys and the stunts and the, the gals and everybody got you know, work together to, to make the budget that we needed to do. So the safety is always paramount and then budget falls into it. But when you're working together with the other departments, we, we will find ways to save money together to help, help the production get where it needs to get. Two questions. I have two follow-ups. One is you talked about shooting these elements. Yeah. Was that main unit? Did you get a secondary and by main unit for people at home? Was that Brad Creaser and the A camera operator going and shooting all that on black? Or when you're doing that for visual effect, do you have your own unit shooting it somewhere else to test all these things? You know, you're burning Brillo pads and all that. That was a that was a second unit. And that was actually an official second unit. It wasn't like a splinter unit because we had people on fire and we we're playing with fire and we were using high frame weight cameras and the rest of it. We couldn't just be stealing B cam and filming this stuff. We needed the time to be safe. We needed a dedicated director of photography and we needed to be able to take the time to do it. And it was it was a dedicated second unit. The producers really allowed me to do that where they would give us a, a second unit to do without just sort of going, hey, here's an insert unit or a splinter unit, and you guys are, you've got 10 minutes to go make this work, right? They gave us the right. time to get the stuff that we need so that the the magic of the show would look like it needed to look. And it seems like it's money well spent because if you're doing that correctly, as you said, you went back and used elements of those shots for years. Oh, yeah. And and I, pardon the vernacular, but I'm like, I, I'm an element before, right? Like anytime we would go out, like I'd talk to Randy, go, Randy, we're going to do the second year thing. I need you to, while we're here, can you burn this for me? And I'd be like, yeah. And then it's just, if you have time, you do it. And, you know, because you never want to rush the the stunt or the special effects, safety is always the number one concern. And it went so swimmingly that we had an extra like two hours at the end of the day to just go through it and i think we still got everything done in an eight hour day so we didn't even get to the 10 hour mark on stuff the flame elements from the ceiling the shot where you're looking up and the fire hits the ceiling and moves across it we had a flamethrower man I, and i like i i have a whole respect and fear of of people that you know the flamethrowers in the war but randy made a flamethrower for us to blow a flamethrower at this black painted um, ceiling with some beams and things like that then we moved the beams out of the way and just shot it at the ceiling and those fire elements were actually what we used for the title sequence on the second uh, on the second season oh wow that's awesome right that's so cool wow so those those flame elements were going wow it was about six of those elements that we used to make that title sequence and Corey Veers was the the title guru he was just amazing that's awesome so um Ivan how much did you all know about the mythology um I mean this episode we're talking about is a big one 
They go back home. They see their mother. We see their father at the very end of it. It's not just a monster of the week, right? It's bigger than that. Right. It's not just monster of the week. There's something else going on. So did you know where Kripke wanted to go with things as opposed opposed to the monster of the week? Where he was going in terms of the brother and the family and all that? Uh, Short answer is no. We never knew where like the big whole story arc was going to go. We didn't see the Bible, so we didn't know where it was going to go. I know Eric had like four, four seasons or five seasons of the, for the whole show in his head. That was his initial plan for the series. He didn't, in his mind, it wasn't a 15 season long thing. And I just want to leap in here and clarify for people. Ivan's not referring to the actual old and new Testament. Uh, He means like when the writers, the creators of a show create basically a written template for what the show is going to do for the first five years, they then refer to that as the Bible. So it's, yeah. So anyway, it gives the writers and the writing team the roadmap of where they can go and what they can do. So as you evolve and you tell a story and you do, hey, this time, this season, we need to do a Bigfoot episode. And that's not in the Bible. So you're going to do a Bigfoot episode. How does that Bigfoot episode propel the main story of the Bible? Like the boys going from A to B in their journey. How does a Bigfoot episode support that portion of it. And that's sort of, you know, the Bible sets up the rules that you don't break. It sets up the main through point, story point, character development stuff. And that's kind of where, where you go with that. But the, we knew like oftentimes they would give us, well, I don't know if they gave it to everybody, but oftentimes they give me the outlines in advance because we sort of had to look at the visual effects budget holistically for the whole show. And sometimes we would know that these two are going to be light episodes because this one was going to be a giant, massive episode. And we needed to sort of go, let's not let ourselves go crazy in these ones. These ones are specifically written to be as practical as possible. So let's resist the urge of the director or the other departments to soften their budgets because we need your visual effects budget to be saved for this down the road. Right. So I did get I did get outlines, but we do get the script. So we know dad's coming at the end of it. Well, this has been great, Ivan. Thank you so much for doing this. You're you're a real artist, man. Oh, man. It's been a real pleasure talking to you, finding all this stuff out. I'm going to take your class. I think you should teach it at a college level, and I'm going to take it. <laughs> but this has been great. you got to come back and talk to us again as this show uh, rolls on, because you were a key part of this show for its birth and its teenage years. So you you got to come back. Anytime, guys. I hope you're enjoying the episode, but we need to pull over a second for some messages. Don't you mean massages? Hey, guys, it's Rob. So check this out. I'm very pleased to announce that we have a new super sponsor. That's right, Marvel Strike Force. So Marvel, the one and only Marvel, has a mobile game, and it's a comic book fan's dream. Marvel Strike Force is it's a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. So, okay, so your goal is to power up your favorite characters, and you complete missions, and then you unlock fun stuff like gear and other resources, and then you beat other players in a PvP, player versus player mode, such as Alliance War or Real Time Arena. So as we, as I record this, they're enjoying their six-year anniversary. So you know what that means: free stuff. 
free stuff just for signing up via the unique link in the description. So the anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. And if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. So make sure you log in every day, each week. You take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strife Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code for every new user, so please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. All right. Thanks once again to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? What would you do? Would you go for a run, take a nap, read a book, watch Supernatural? Maybe all the above. Or maybe it's that thought that brings in a sense of panic. I mean, the question is, what time for what? If time is unlimited, how do we use it? Sometimes the hardest time for people who work every day is the weekends. When people are faced with a choice, if I've got this free time, what do I do with it? If this rings true for you, maybe therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy for many years now, and I talk openly about it. I still go to therapy um, about once a week, and it's just such a nice time for me to to have that free space to to try to figure out who I am, really, and what I really want and what makes me happy. It's super important and often neglected taking this time. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible and suited to your schedule. So all you do is you fill out this brief questionnaire, you get matched with a licensed therapist, and then, oh, get this, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge because they want you to be happy. That's what this is about. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash S-P-N-T-A-N today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash S-P-N-T-A-N. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. And now back to the episode. That was great. Oh, gosh. Robbie, you kept telling him he should run a class. Yeah. I feel like we just took... A class. Yeah. Yeah. The first installment. Yeah. What a great and interesting man. Yeah, and I said that, too, because he, he you know, he's he's imparting knowledge in a way that's like easy to digest and you, it makes you want to learn more about it. And he's so excited about it that I got excited about it. Yeah. You know? And I meant what he said. He I meant what I said. He's an artist. He is an artist. He's a real artist. And, uh, he, and, and I meant what he said. I meant what he said. <laughs> and he meant what I said. <laughs> but uh, uh, just an, also just a terrific guy. You obviously know him even better than me, but uh, just a lovely man. A lovely man. And he's he's Canadian? Canadian. Yeah. Very social. Not afraid yeah. to go out and be social. Yeah. Uh, at a... Oh, yeah? Like, yeah. Oh, you've drank, you've drank with him. Well, it's an old drinking buddy. Turn that... You say it like that, it suddenly sounds all... Who haven't you had uns- a drink with? You? <laughs> um, um All right. All right. So, so, uh, Let's get into the mythology, mythology of this episode. Mythology. Mythology. Mysterology. Uh, poltergeist. Yeah. That's a noisy, usually mischievous ghost held to be responsible for unexplained noises, such as rappings. I'm going to scare you. In your closet, yo. It's not a heist. What? What? I'm a poltergeist. 
There you go. Huh? Um, um, yeah, that was the Merriam-Webster dictionary version minus our wrap. Oh, you know, I think it means wrapping. I think it means uh, it must wrapping mean upon yeah. your chamber yeah. door. Jimmy gently tapping. It doesn't mean putting paper around a gift with tape. No, that's with a W. Ah, See, right, that's right. Right. I got say. it. Okay. This is more like a booch, 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 If you like feist, I'm a poltergeist. That doesn't make sense. Poltergeist translates literally from German as knocking spirit. Can you say it in German for me? Oh, the German verb poltern means to knock, and geist is the German word for spirit. So that's why it's responsible for such unexplained noises as rappings. The English word ghost is also related. It descends from the same ancient root that led to geist, although ghost has been used in English since before the 12th century. Poltergeist is a relative newcomer, first appearing as an English word in the middle of the 19th century. Yeah. When Dean asks about all the items... He's preparing for Missouri to clear the house. One of the items is Crossroads Dirt, foreshadowing season two, episode eight, Crossroad Blues, which was inspired by the Robert Johnson song of the same name. The song is a favorite of Kripke's, a big blues fan. Oh, wow. I didn't realize he's a hockey fan. Uh, <laughs> or, the, or color. I knew he was a colorist. <laughs> he likes all the color, navy, cobalt, all the blues. See, and again, since we are just watching the show for the first time, I'm excited to see what that episode is. I have no um, idea. Yeah, me too. Fun facts. Fun facts. Here's the fun, fun fact. Packed with the shining references, one is the shot of Dean to the axe hole he made in the door. Right. Uh, also, when Dean tells Sammy, first you tell me that you've got the shining, and then you tell me that I've got to go back home. Do that again, please. As Dean. Ladies and gentlemen, Rob Benedict as Dean Winchester. Okay, Sammy. For, first you tell me that you've got the shining, and then you tell me that i got to go back home. And scene. Well done. It's not great. Another Stephen King reference is the monkey with symbols. When the plumber gets his hands stuck in the garbage disposal, why that monkey just keeps on banging away. It's a reference to the short story, The Monkey. And boy, that's one of my, one of those things you see in a movie where I go, that's one of my biggest fears. Hand in the garbage disposal. And I've had to put my hand in the garbage disposal. who, who, Who hasn't? People who don't own garbage disposal. <laughs> okay. But anyone who has children who put, you know, orange rinds down there, you're yeah. like, damn it, stop putting orange rinds down there. Yeah, dude. Yeah. It scares the but daylights you, out of me. That and like, yeah, every time I turn it on, I'm like, clear the clear the hands. It's also packed with references to poltergeist. Dean says, Missouri did her whole Zelda Rubenstein thing. And uh, that Zelda Rubenstein played the cleaning psychic in the original Poltergeist. Correct. The toy clown is hanging from the door. Right. As in Poltergeist, is a toy clown. And the boys say they are there to investigate a Poltergeist. That's right. And Supernatural even references itself. And perhaps the first time that it goes a bit meta. Right. The scene where Sam hands Richie to his sister, Sari, and says, take your brother outside as fast as you can and don't look back, is a throwback to the pilot when John hands baby Sam to Dean and says the same thing. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. Say that line again, as Sam. Oh, boy. Take your brother outside as fast as you can, and don't look back. And scene. It's not great. First episode in the series with no fatalities. Well, that's interesting. Zero death count. That is interesting. The the episode was originally titled The Journey Home. Missouri Mosley was originally intended to be a recurring character, but the actress, Loretta Devine, booked another recurring role, Adele Weber on Grey's Anatomy, uh, opening the door for Bobby Singer to become the surrogate parent in the boys' lives. 
Missouri finally returns in season 13, episode three, Patience. Oh my God, that's crazy. So she was going to be a massive player yeah. in the show. And then she booked Grey's Anatomy. I mean, because, you know, Jim Beaver, Bobby Singer, is it all over the series. Yeah. Yeah. Holy smokes, that's a big deal. Crazy. It's crazy that she then booked a part on another show that has that's run for, well, now about 17 or 18 years. It's still, oh, still going. so crazy. Yeah. Um, How different would the show have been? Because she was great in the show. Yeah. How different would that have been with that person being their mentor? Also, and I say this not knowing, when does Bobby Singer come on? I don't know. I guess we'll have to watch and see. I can't wait. All right. That was great. Great episode. So fun. Uh, Missouri Mosley, great new character to explore. Um, and overall, great to see Sam Smith and uh, a pretty fun poltergeist-themed episode. Yeah. It got both. It got two beards from well, us. It got a full beard from you and a well-trimmed beard. Varying length of beards. Uh, and also Ivan Hayden. What a great guy to have as a guest. Thank great you episode so much. of a podcast. So big, big thanks to Ivan Hayden for coming on. Big thanks to Ivan Hayden. This episode stars Jetson Ackles as Dean Winchester and Jared Padalecki as Sam Winchester. Guest stars were Jeffrey Dean Morgan as John Winchester, Samantha Smith as Mary Winchester, Loretta Devine as Missouri Mosley, and Kristen Richardson as Jenny. Home was written by Eric Kripke and directed by Ken Girardi. Editing by David Ekstrom. Music by Chris Leonards. End credits theme by Jay Greska. Executive produced by Eric Kripke and Robert Singer. This episode first aired November 15, 2005. This episode of Supernatural Then and Now was hosted and executive produced by Richard Spade Jr. and Rob Benedict. Produced by Stephen Hine, written by Stephen Hine and Haida Holscher. And edited and associate produced by Trey Booty. What's up, Booty? Music provided by Tim Wynn. This episode was recorded with the help of Sonic Fuel Studios. This podcast is from Story Mill Media. For news on this and other podcasts, Follow Story Mill Media on Instagram and Twitter. Follow Story Mill Media on Instagram. Instagram? <laughs> Instagram? Instagram. If you don't have time for Instagram, go to Instagram. Steve, you can't write that. <laughs> so good. Oh my God, it was so funny. Another Stephen King reference is the monkey with... Sibilis? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not even Sibilis. Sibyls. This is not a heist. I'm a poltergeist. Find another word to rhyme with. You I like Feist. She, she writes good songs. I'm a poltergeist. Stop using poltergeist. And what else is there? I'm not a fan of Donnie most. I prefer a real scary ghost. Poltergeist is nowhere in that rap. Oh, that's my point. Mix it up. The English word ghost is also related. It DJ is same. DJ samey sames. Yes, but I think they would say it. Poltern and geist. Sorry, you just blew producer Steve's ears off. <laughs> DJ sames. Oh, man. Story Bell Media. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.